1: and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and I was wondering if I was going to get home in time to run the show because, you know, it's one of those days where I've been on the run all day long and uh, just barely made it here, clocked in five minutes before showtime. Always makes Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, a little nervous. Uh, she thought she might have to open the show with a little drum solo or, and singing uh, or something to keep you all, all uh, engaged until I could get here. But- and I'm going to
0: jump in here for just a second, Jay. Um, Skype did an update, so we are broadcasting. I do have just a picture of you up because we don't, we're not getting the video feed.
1: Ah, great.
0: So you, you can stick your tongue out, do whatever you want, and nobody will see it.
1: I can see my, I can still see myself on Skype, but for some reason it's not coming through on our page, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I apologize folks for that. Um, But yeah, we got so much to talk about that you really don't need to see me. You just need to hear me on the show and we need to hear from you because, you know, I say this in the, you know, um, Facebook promos for this and I mention it over and over again. I really want to talk about what you want to talk about. And you can do that by calling in at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin know that you want to get in on the conversation so she can pick up and get your name and flag it to me. So I pick up the, the call, and we'll have a conversation. But, you know, all sorts of things went on over the last week. It's been a really busy week. Um, Because, you know, we did the show Wednesday afternoon and I got up at, oh, my God, in the morning on Thursday and then drove up to Salem so I could get there ahead of the uh, truck uh, convoys. And I got up to Salem about 6.15 and uh, wasn't too much longer after that. About 15 minutes later, trucks started rolling into Salem uh, early uh, because they really they were supposed to start rolling in at seven. And. When I left at one o'clock, I was seeing new trucks roll into Salem that I hadn't seen all day. So that was over five hours of you know, solid trucks, almost six hours of solid trucks where I didn't see repeats coming into Salem and going around the Capitol. So just a, an amazing event. Um, I think they had a total of about 1200 trucks And according to the the events people, what I heard was they had 9,500 people sign in um, at the various parking and transfer points for the buses, et cetera. The uh, uh, news media only reported 2,000, but I I was there and there was more than 2,000 people in front of the Capitol. They might have been thinking there was 2,000 people between where that you know one truck was parked that, that people were signing their names on and had had you know the blue uh tarps over the the load of wood and uh yeah that might have been about two thousand between those but across the street was a whole another couple thousand people um you know that were listening to the speeches and milling around not to mention a lot of people were inside trying to get signed up to testify and going up and visiting various legislators in their offices and uh, I did a little bit of that myself throughout the day. You know, I was outside for a while, I was inside for a while. And when you were in that building, you know, as the trucks were going around, they honking their air horns um, as they went by the building. There was no place in that building you could not hear the air horns. At, I, of course, I guess I didn't get down into the sub basements. Maybe you couldn't hear it there. But anywhere in the office buildings for the senators or the house, because I was on both sides, anywhere in the main building, rotunda, uh, near the hearings rooms, in the hearings rooms, you could hear the horns. And probably the place where they were the loudest was when I was in a couple of the legislators' offices talking to them. Their offices are, you know, the way it is, there's kind of, you know, central hallways and their offices are around the outside of the building and their staff sits close to the hallway, and then their office office is the furthest out portion, you know, and they have the exterior windows in their offices, and boy were those truck horns loud (laughs) inside those offices, and I think it was kind of getting on the nerves, and uh, kind of showed up during one of the hearings that day, um, where one uh, legislator that was on a committee got up and left the committee meeting, and then a a legislator that was there to testify got mad about that and got up and left in the middle of of their testimony Uh, so temperatures tempers were very short uh on thursday but uh what a fantastic rally and it was such a so nice to be around so many like-minded people out there but i tell you you know i am not a short person I don't, at least I don't think of myself as short, and a lot of people might describe me as tall because I stand, you know, fairly erect um, and sit erect, um, but I'm only six foot, but I felt short in that crowd. <laughs> Those loggers are some big boys. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt, I don't know if he felt short, I felt little. <laughs> Those guys are definitely uh, some some big guys out there that, that were walking around from some of the logging crews and all that stuff. But it, it was a, a, just a great event, and you know people had their dogs with them and stuff. It was fun. You know had a lot of dogs hanging out of truck windows. You know because a lot of those truckers have have uh, co-pilots that are that are canine, uh, they're canine co-pilots, and it was just you know it was great to see that kind of grassroots truly grassroots. There is nobody financing this from the outside. There's no, um, you know, Michael Bloomberg uh, or, you know, George Soros financing the, quote, grassroots movement. There's no Koch brothers. There's, you know, nothing on the right side. This was something that was started by a couple of people that just thought about having a rally last year and came together a pretty fantastic way. And it's mostly just been a social media organization, you know, to get that going. I think they finally started, you know, putting some money together by selling hats and t-shirts and things and bumper stickers, you know, (laughs) and monetizing this a little bit, the timber unity folks, but uh, you know, just what an amazing event. And I just have to thank the event coordinators, the um, convoy captains and, and, The folks that helped get the convoys there organized and on time um and it was just just a great event and it was a lot of people giving up a day's pay and i saw a post by one particular log truck driver on saturday thanking um some uh um forest owner and mill uh, for allowing him to do a take some loads in on Saturday to make up for taking Thursday off so he wouldn't have to lose uh, a day's pay. I mean, that's basically the guys that were there. They weren't government employees. They weren't high school kids, you know, that were being encouraged to do that by activists and bust in. It was folks that took a day off from work, a day away from their farms, you know, a day away from their fishing boats because they, you know, there was everything from, from commercial fishermen there. Even that, there was a group of folks that came up that were um, miners, you know, gold miners. And, and that gold mining uh, uh, group came up to, you know, to support this effort to prevent the cap, tax and spend bill from moving through in a short session. So it was just really a, a great event and fun to be there that day. Uh, fun to be around it, I, and I appreciate at least getting to be able to introduce myself to the crowd very briefly. I got you know, a, about a 10-second chance at the microphone as they introduced all the uh, county commissioners that had shown up to support the event. By the way, I was the only Lane County Commissioner that was actually in attendance. I have a feeling that um, Commissioner Farr would have liked to have been there, but I think Thursdays is our day that he has... Um, a um, an advisory meeting that he has to be in so um what a great event just just a good event and i i'm getting a little feedback here robin all of a sudden that ask gone <laughs> must have punched a button so um I, i'll move on from that event but it just you know after our board you know, earlier in the week had adopted, you know, a climate action um, plan, so to speak, and resolution, including a a um, U.N.-inspired declaration of human rights and climate change. Um, You know, after that disappointing day there, it was great to be around all those folks that that kind of make our state work, the working folks, the folks that are really going to be hurt if they pass this cap tax and spend um, fiasco that they're getting ready to pass. Um, unless, of course, the, uh, the Senate 12, uh, the Republican caucus of the Senate decides to suddenly take vacations in Idaho and, you know, Montana and places outside the state um, sometime before the end of session before the bill comes to a vote. So I have a feeling that may still happen, which is kind of interesting because, I've noticed in this session they're not moving that cap and trade as fast and they're letting some other bills move ahead of it. I think because they realize if you know if there are other things they want to try and get fixed and done, like a short session's supposed to be for, they need to go ahead and get them done because they may not have a full short session. <laughs> so but you know, that was Thursday this weekend. I actually took the weekend off and went down to uh the Hasita beach RV resort for an airstream rally which was our first airstream rally with our new used airstream that my wife and I purchased uh last year and uh it was a fun event to be around all those other airstream couples and there were everything from the teeny tiny little ones to the great big longer ones ours is somewhere in the middle and uh uh there were a couple even um You know classic airstreams there there was a 1958 and a 1959 airstream that a couple people had refurbished and those were kind of cool um so that was my weekend and it was sort of out of touch because there's not really good cell service and the wi-fi you know with everybody down there trying to all get on the internet was a little slow so i kind of didn't get to see the news too much and so it was a surprise to me about the flooding that happened out in eastern oregon and Pendleton um this weekend when i got back into eugene and and started getting news again um but so you know pretty pretty kind of strange get away like that for a while but then monday i was right back up to salem again and again leaving pretty early in the morning because i had to be there for a um federal lands um meeting of the Association of Oregon Counties at 7 a.m. in Salem. So another long day for Commissioner Bozovich and another driving day for Commissioner Bozovich. Uh, but, you know, what happens uh, with the Association of Oregon Counties is once a month they have a legislative day where they have a bunch of subcommittees that meet on various pieces of, of and and uh, not just state legislation, but also federal and make recommendations to the uh, legislative committee, which is the uh, committee of the entirety of of the organization, with representation uh, geographically across um, the state and uh, from various committees that votes on on positions on various you know it could be a a, a Senate bill or House bill here in the state legislature. It could be a federal piece of legislation they're taking a position on or asking for something to be be done you know but it has to go through this committee process and get approved and we don't take a position on bill unless we can get a two-thirds vote for that position from the legislative committee so it has to be a pretty solid thing so you know federal lands uh most of what we talked about there was um we uh passed uh, i made a motion to to approve a um to urge the uh BLM to continue contracting for firefighting with the Oregon Department of Forestry and that Oregon Department of Forestry continue to be the lead agency in that firefighting and that's a really important thing because ODF has got an initial attack philosophy that has really kept you know equal number of fire starts on ODF protected land as U.S. Forest Service protected land. And the number of acres burned last year was 90% U.S. Forest Service, 10% on ODF protected lands. So just think about that one for a minute. So we really don't, you know, if BLM starts protecting their own lands, they're gonna they're going contract with the Forest Service to do that protection, because they do not have firefighting um resources here in oregon because they've been using odf for so long so do we really want the let it burn forest service um, protecting that checkerboard that's in most of lane county and and burning private property in the process so yeah, kind of an important issue there uh and it you know we get on in the day and um I also sit on something called the Governance Committee, which is somewhat of a catch-all committee, but it's supposed to kind of deal with issues of of, um, the legal issues around governing and all, Um, and particularly, you know, because counties are subdivisions of the state, when the state legislature does stuff, quite often it impacts how we govern, and uh, so we're a little bit of a catch-all committee, so we catch, you know, just all sorts of stuff that doesn't fall under things like health and human services, natural resources, transportation, um, public safety. There's these regulatory things about how governments run or, or some other things, kind of taxation issues and all that kind of fall out of those committees and end up in governance. And one of those things just happened to be this bill that would require or would make it make, give the ability of, of somebody that is on strike in a labor action to file for unemployment while they're on strike. Kind of get that, you know, so that, you know, usually you can only get unemployment if you're, you know, if you've you know, been, you know, you don't have a job. When you're on strike, you still have a job. You're just, by your own choice, you're staying off that job in hopes of forcing your employer to accept your union's contract. And one of the balancing things in that, that balance of power between unions and employers is the fact that when the folks are out on strike, the the union in their reserves has to somehow or another start paying those those employees, which is usually pretty Small amount of money, and there's an incentive to come back to work and start getting a regular paycheck again. So, making union employees eligible for unemployment would basically tip that balance of power away in favor of the unions, because you know between unemployment and whatever the unions could pay, it would would almost be like have you know you know a vacation for some of these folks, other than the fact that they have to report to a picket line. and really make it tough for employers to try and get fair contracts with you know and tilt that favor and that's where you know our current board chair heather buck kind of showed her um how deep in the pocket of the american federation of state county municipal employees she is um the the governance committee recommended to the legislative committee by unanimous vote a no position on that bill to be against it when it got to the legislative committee there were two other bills that came out of governance and usually what happens is each committee proposes that the um legislative committee adopt their slate of positions so it makes it you know so the committee moves faster unless somebody pulls it pulls a bill from that slate, and Chair Buck raised her hand and pulled that bill from the slate for a separate vote. And of course, when when it did come up for a separate vote, it still by an overwhelming margin of a good 80% or more, um, we took the no position, but Chair Buck was one of a handful of of commissioners uh, from around the state that voted against taking a no position, and I think would have preferred to take a yes position uh, because she owes her, you know, her her election partly to ASME who supported her. In fact, when ASME was on strike at Lane County, she was there at the picket lines, um, encouraging them and providing support to them. So don't know if most of East Lane County knows that, Um, that she really is that deep in the pocket of unions that she was willing to give them unemployment while they were on strike. But she basically voted to do that on Monday at the Association of Oregon Counties meeting. But so, you know, and we took positions on several bills. The one bill we really haven't taken a position on is the cap and trade bill because it splits our counties up so badly. Uh, We actually would probably vote to be against it because that's preponderance of the counties are, you know, because we're more geographically represented rather than population, or rural counties that don't really support it. But we did last year adopt um, a set of um, values and, and, and desires for what was to be in the bill. And I can tell you that the cap that what's in front of the legislature now does not meet any of those principles that we put together. You know, one The very first principle we have in there, and all counties could agree on this, this is something that was universally supported. Even Multnomah County, who is all in for cap and trade, kind of likes this one, which is any revenue that was derived by the, the new carbon taxes, or the sales of, quote, the sales of credits, um, which is really just a tax, have to go into the highway trust fund, like any other fuel tax in the state, as it's put into the constitution. And uh, they, excuse me for a minute while I close my door. I have no idea what they're barking at. And I hope they stop soon. Um, it's live radio here at Bozo's show. And and because I'm doing it from my home, sometimes that means poodles get involved. But the current bill does not put that money in the trust fund. In fact, it puts it in a place where the legislature can spend it on anything they damn well want to. And the whole point in that they have that piece in our state constitution so that transportation drives Taxes get spent on the transportation system and go into that highway trust fund. That highway trust fund gets split up 50, 30, 20. So, um, and that 50% goes to ODOT, 30% comes to counties, and 20% goes to cities by uh, you know population formula with a little bit of extra money going to some of the small cities and small and less populated counties. Um, but that, that just in that principle alone, the current bill doesn't meet that, and AOC should be taking a, a no stance. You know, another little principle that the association put out there was no emergency clause, and it has an emergency clause on it right now. We also asked them to provide a funding mechanism to offset the cost impacts to local government. In other words, we don't want an unfunded mandate. And I don't think they've quite done that yet. But so. We haven't taken an official position against the bill, but it violates all the principles we did adopt. As the counties. But, you know, it it, other things go on other than the the legislature, although that kind of dominates the news while they're in session. But. You know, I noted in my promo that I was actually at Benita City Council work session on Monday night after getting back from um, Salem. I got over to the city of Benita and spent about an hour over there as they talked about working in tandem and cooperating on funding a school resource officer, which is a sworn law enforcement officer that gets a little bit of special training, which is basically they become somewhere between a a, um uh a counselor and a law enforcement officer and an educator um is is they kind of have a a three-pronged um approach as they work with kids because they're there to kind of listen to the kids and and you know and listen for um, issues that might be happening at home and all that and that's that kind of counselor side of things They're there, you know, to be on call for the school district for any issues that need a law enforcement response. They're also there. um, To provide some education where they might come into a class and talk about, you know, water safety or talk about. um, Uh, you know, if it's a high school, maybe about driving and and um, you know, not driving impaired and and other other. um, things they can educate uh kids about uh, you know even even something as simple as as uh some of the gun safety uh, you know uh, um you know the sort of uh you know they can provide all sorts of opportunities for them to to teach you know and just in general, you know just maybe just basically you know law 101 and how how to how to interact with a police officer you know safe you know and keep safe and everything um, but, you know, it's, it's a really good thing for a school system to have is, you know, it gets kids interacting with law enforcement when it's not a um, stressful situation and, and gets them to trust law enforcement a little bit better. Um, it also, it's amazing how many crimes school resource officers solve because the kids have information about those crimes. Uh, a lot of times and 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 not even knowingly share that information with with school resource officers that you know lead to uh, uh re- resolving a crime um and you know you just think about in these days of uh, uh school shootings and everything else it's nice to have somebody that is dedicated to that school system for response right now um the Fern Ridge School System has to pull an officer out of the city of Benita to come over here to the high school in Elmira. And when they are coming out to the high school for response, they're not patrolling in Benita. So adding a school resource officer will actually keep from diverting some of those uh, patrol uh, resources outside of the city of Benita. And half of the population of the Fern Ridge School District are City of Benita residents. So you know, that's one of the reasons why there's this conversation about cooperating on financing and uh, i think it's going to be a good thing i think it was a good conversation on monday night probably um, the school district was going to have their conversation later that night at their school board meeting and i didn't get to hear all about that yet but i'm sure that things are moving forward and in a positive direction and it'll be something good for the Ridge community out here to have that you know one more um law enforcement officer in the area, you know, as weak as our law enforcement is here in rural Oregon, which gets back to the ONC County Railroad lands not providing the funding that they should. So we can have the rural patrol that we should. But we'll talk about that again later. So, you know, our board meeting uh, on Tuesday was basically an almost all housing board meeting. We had a presentation from the uh, Better Housing Together folks on their housing action plan that they're developing. We talked a little bit later about revenue sources possible to to work on the housing issue at the request of Commissioner Sorensen. It was a work session he requested. And before all that in the morning, we actually heard from the city of Cottage Grove And it was great to see former Commissioner uh, Faye Stewart, who is now the Public Works and Economic Development Division Director. He wears two hats, you know, um, at the city of Cottage Grove. And what's kind of funny is he said basically taking the job of two department directors was easier on him than being a commissioner uh, (laughs) as far as how hard he and how much time it it takes. Um, But... (laughs) But uh, you know Cottage Grove has done some amazing things, and you know one of the things they did was they revamped their permit uh, system. They had been using a system of because of, small cities have a tough time because they don't get enough permits going through at all times, you know, in in uh, good times and bad to staff up a you know with a certified building official that can do building permit review with somebody that has the, the credentials to do electrical permit review. Um, you know, that's a tough thing, but what they did was instead of contracting out for that to a, to a third party vendor, they brought it in house, um, and, and got an intergovernmental agreement with the city of Cresswell and the city of Vanita to do their permit work. So they had enough work between the three small cities to, hire that staff, and they changed their permit turnaround from what was a three- to five-week turnaround, which I would be happy with if Lane County could meet that, to a seven- to ten-day turnaround. In fact, they say simple permits quite often get issued within five days.
0: Sorry to jump in, Jay. We got a sort of video back, and you want to explain what the thumping is?
1: Oh, the thumping? Sorry. (laughs) I have poodles that keep coming up to me and, 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 and I was trying to keep them. My cat decided also to come up to me and be under my feet. And I was trying to keep them occupied and away from the cat. Things that happen off camera down, down below, but, um, you know, that's what the thumping is. Can you see her? (laughs) This is Piper. We can see her. Piper is a good girl. (laughs) Yeah, a good girl? Piper is a good girl. And she yeah. always had a kiss. And of course,
0: uh, one of the things that um, my favorite thing to, to bitch and moan about is updates.
1: So, yeah.
0: I mean, it's yeah. not a perfect video, but Skype updated and gave us new features and s- screwed everything up. So we apologize for the lack of video and video quality. Yeah. But at, least you, at least now we can see you.
1: Yes, good. And, and hear the crazy dumping in the background and everything else yeah and speaking of poodles, uh, to get completely off subject, we'll get back to Cottage Grove in a minute. Um, did you see that the westminster Westminster dog show best in show was a standard poodle?
0: I did not see that
1: it was just made the news yesterday and was on the morning news today big, big black female standard poodle and it, so the,
0: I said don't know the difference between a regular poodle and a standard poodle what's what's the difference?
1: well standard poodle is a regular poodle it's a full-size one you know the ones that weigh about 50 to 70 pounds and and uh they're they're the the bigger springy ones you know and then then there's the uh uh miniature poodles which are smaller you know the the medium size and uh, in france they call them which is just french for medium and then there's the toy poodles which are the little ones and and uh so that's the three different sized poodles that are shown at Westminster but uh, the standard poodles are the big ones and that's what I have is four standard poodles and a standard poodle one Westminster didn't he I'm now being visited by one of my other standard poodles Louie that's Louie Louie he knows his name
0: and if I say the S word,
1: the S word, oh, the S Q one, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, they they'd be looking up the windows and, running around. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yep, yeah, they 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 know that word. <laughs> <laughs> um, but getting back to Cottage Grove, as we digressed, it just is amazing that they've done that. So you know. They have taken the tactic, you know, in trying to resolve their housing problem of removing barriers to to why housing costs so much and why not enough of it's being built. They're working on the supply side of the housing equation, you know, and going to a system where you can get a permit in a week. If I'm a, a builder, I am just in love with that. Because boy, that tell you know there's a you're you're carrying cost when that permit's being reviewed as as a as a builder, you know you've purchased a lot, you're starting to order materials, you've got financing in place and you're paying interest, you know so fast permit turnaround saving money, which lowers housing costs, but also just you know having that dependable permit system where you know you're not going to end up, you know six months later and you still don't have all your permits. Um, you know, that sort of system is just really important along with that. They looked at their housing code across the board, everything in their, in their land use code and in, in their, um, building codes, et cetera, to make it easier. Uh, like you can put a duplex on any single family lot in the city. Now, um, they made it a lot easier to, you know, tiny homes and smaller homes and smaller Um, Lot sizes and and other things just to try and you know give a variability in types of homes that could be built and what they were and then in addition to that they also have been setting aside $75,000 a year in SDC and permit fee waivers that can be applied for by nonprofits that are building housing for low income people. Uh, and, and to to stay low income, so you know to try and stimulate that 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 side of the equation. And in addition to that, they came to us yesterday to co-adopt their multi-unit property tax exemption, or a as it's referred to, um, which offers tax incentives to build even more construction. You know, so if you build building you know an apartment complex now in, in the city of Cottage Grove, you can get your property taxes waived for a certain number of years um before you come that comes on a tax roll. The the and it it's a really important incentive because a lot of times as you pencil out an apartment complex, it it's just not quite profitable. And and no one wants to invest in something that's gonna lose money and that Property tax exemption can be the thing that tilts the balance to make somebody build a, a complex. And that's what we want. We want we want housing, we want front doors. Any kind of housing lowers the cost. And Cottage Grove gets it. And and they and in every way they're trying to keep down their fees, keep their the cost down to, to people building housing and incentivize it in in various ways, whether it's their SDC waivers or this new um, property tax exemption, that seems to be a really great way. On the other hand, Commissioner Sorensen, you know, called for this work session because he wanted to figure out what we could do to raise taxes or fees in some way so that we could collect money into the county so the county could use that money to do something to get more housing now mind you some of the things he's been talking about have been property taxes you know whether it's to you know uh, in the way of some kind of serial levy or it's a bond issuance to to put together a, a bunch of bonds and pay the bonds off um Or he's also been talking about a construction excise tax, which would be charged time people pull permits for housing. Any of those three raise the cost of housing. In fact, the two property tax-related ones raise the cost of housing to people that are already in housing, not just the stuff being built. So we're going to raise the cost of housing, bring that money into the... Government that is Lane County, and somehow or another, w- with our PERS, you know, employees, administer that and and under pre- the state prevailing wage laws, build housing that's going to resolve our housing crisis. <laughs> Seems like we ought to leave that money out there in the in the economy and and do things that incentivize the private sector to build it far cheaper per unit. There's no way government can build housing cheaper than the private sector can. So, yeah, and we shouldn't do anything that raises the cost of housing at this time in the middle of the housing crisis. Well, fortunately, it seemed like I was not in the minority this time with our board and Commissioner Sorensen seemed to be in the minority uh, this time. Um, And he kind of, we kind of, sort of tabled that discussion at least for till this summer again he wants it to come back up in another six months uh, so beware hold on your checkbooks because um, you know they're not done talking about taxing you to to taxing your house to get more housing and in fact you know getting back to our lovely legislature um, they're looking at taxing your house for more housing yeah you know I I got this lovely little postcard from the folks at the Taxpayers Association of Oregon um, and I really like uh, Jason and those guys up there and there are several taxes that would go directly towards housing there's an apartment construction tax being proposed under House Bill 4084, there's a sales tax uh, on homes, basically, That's that they want to re, um, refer to the voters to reverse a ban on transfer taxes. And folks that don't know what transfer taxes are, those are taxes that are charged at the time you sell a home or change property. So as you transfer that home, it's usually some percentage of the total sales cost. Uh, that gets charged at that time. So it adds to your closing cost, which adds to the cost of buying a house, which means when you go to resell that house, you're going to want more money because you're going to want to get that money back. You know, so it's just, you know, one of those bad things. So two taxes right there directly going to impact the cost of housing, not to mention the carbon tax and how that's going to impact housing costs everything that goes into constructing a house got there on a truck the guy building the house got there in their pickup trucks you yeah.
0: know
1: it takes energy to build a house a carbon tax that could raise the price of gas by 72 cents a gallon is going to make housing more expensive and that's beyond the tax they already passed that's going to make your house more expensive, which is the corporate sales tax they passed last year under the guise of a a uh, uh, school improvement uh, you know, uh, uh, bill where they buried the uh, corporate activities tax, which is basically a sales tax of 0.57%, uh, which is already – costing some school districts extra money. We talked about last week in that they're getting uh, change orders on some of their bond projects from contractors that are having to pay that tax for the amount of that tax. Cause that tax basically is on gross sales, not profit. So every dollar, or, or I should say basically Every hundred dollars of sales of that of a corporation is going to be taxed fifty seven cents, and it's everywhere along the way. So you know when you're talking about a house that that you know the logging company that logged the logs is going to have to charge that point five seven when they sell the logs to the mill. And by the way, the trucking company that's charging the mill to haul those logs to the mill is also going to charge 0.57% on their trucking uh, charges. Then the mill is going to cut the wood up into lumber, and they're going to add 0.57% when they sell it to Home Depot, or or Hammer Lumber Company, or whoever's supplying your builder. Home Depot is going to add 0.57% when they sell it to your builder and deliver it out to the site. Um, so, you know, it's really, uh, one of those things where. You know, how many times that 0.57? Percent get multiplied over and over and over again up the ladder by the time, you know your builder sells you that house, and by the way, he'll be charging you 0.57% for selling that house, It there's going to be probably two or three, maybe even four or 5% of the cost of your house is that corporate activities tax. You know, what part of a housing crisis doesn't the state legislature understand? Oh, yeah, they kind of understand it. They're pushing through a bill, House Bill 4001 right now, which was put in on behalf of uh, our Speaker of the House, Tina Kotek. that is going to make um, the sighting uh, of um, emergency shelters for homeless a super sighting thing, where local governments are gonna be able to cite them in the neighborhood without having to you know change zoning or anything like that and basically override zoning law to cite an emergency homeless shelter. And in addition, they're also going to allocate another 40 million dollars to help fund building those shelters and, and staffing them. So they kind of get you know spending money spending your tax money on on, on government solutions but they don't kind of get the idea of maybe if they made the cost of housing less and made it easier to build it, maybe change some some land use laws and all that, work on the supply side, they wouldn't need to spend the money on all those homeless folks because they might be able to afford their housing. But we're going to raise taxes all over the place. And we didn't even talk about the mattress tax or the hotel tax proposal or the uh, car sales tax proposal. That's in front of the legislature. But uh, fortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to be doing at least in the next six months, any taxes on Lane County residents for Lane County to try and somehow or another build housing. But, you know, as we talk about things like this, I did remind the board once again, and I, just like I did last week um, that we're not getting our fair share of revenue from the federal force and that once upon a time lane county had plenty of money to fund you know housing efforts and and actually have a fully staffed rural patrol it was back when we were harvesting off of the O&C railroad lands and i just reminded him that again and the fact that we have pulled away from the one organization that was lobbying on behalf of the counties that have those lands in them. And of course, you know, the only person that kind of nodded their head when I mentioned that was Commissioner Farr. The other three commissioners, including Chair Buck, kind of sat on their hands and stared in the space as I was talking about that issue. Because last week when I brought it up to actually try and put it on the agenda, only Commissioner Farr, Agreed to do that. It takes three commissioners to place something on the agenda. The other three sat on their hands and would not agree to place at least a discussion of rejoining that group, not to rejoin it, just a discussion. They don't even want to have the conversation. Chair Buck does not even want to have that conversation, but she would like to give unemployment uh, benefits to striking, you know, ASME workers. Ah, uh, yes, but I digress. So I just want to remind folks, because I keep forgetting to do this, that we are a call in show and you can control the topic anytime you want. We can talk about standard poodles, we can talk about the legislature, we can talk about uh, Cottage Grove or the city of Anita and school resource officers. Just give us a call, 646 721. 9887 just press one lets us know you want to get in on the conversation 646-721-9887 so yeah we've thrown a lot out there about the legislature talked a little bit about um you know the county even talked about city of anita and cottage grove here on the bo's nose show i i i just have to pause for a moment and talk a little national politics and i and i was watching um some of the more recent um primary i should say caucus and primary because the iowa is not a true primary um and just kind of um surprised by some of the results in some ways and, and and also just surprised Cats and poodles. Uh, also, just surprised by um, one the the total um, you know train wreck that was the Iowa caucuses on the Democrat side, and then two just you know the unbelievably poor showing of Joe Biden in both race both uh, the caucuses and uh, the Vermont. I mean the New Hampshire primary. And I mean just I I'm just surprised. I thought he was the front runner and, and the and the person everybody else was trying to beat, and suddenly he's like number five. <laughs> I guess you know, he needs to write a book like Hillary Clinton. What happened? <laughs> Sorry, I had to work that joke in. <laughs> But it's been interesting and it's interesting who's actually leading because uh, you know, I, I actually think that um, Bernie Sanders won the Iowa caucuses and I think some of that uh, inability to count was just about trying to make sure he didn't uh, run away with a delegate count out of that and try and steer as many delegates as they could to somebody else. And uh, uh, Mayor Pete uh, is now leading the delegate count after two primary, you know, a caucus and a primary be interesting to see how Nevada goes as we swing out west and then South Carolina a little bit later but uh fascinating to watch all that what's really interesting though is even though there's really no contest on the on the other side the Republican side the turnout in the Republican caucuses and primary were near record uh, in fact there it, it in off year uh, in I should say in non in years where incumbent presidents have been running uh President Trump outdid the past several presidents that have been, have run as as um incumbents in New Hampshire in vote total you know, by a significant amount. I think he had 118,000 votes. I think the closest to him was um uh George W. Bush going for a second term was like 80,000, and even Barack Obama as a Democrat only got like 60,000 votes. Um, and, and yes, I know that the population of, of New Hampshire is slowly increasing to a degree, but that's a much bigger jump than population growth uh, and pretty substantial that there's that much energy and turnout in a basically foregone conclusion election on the Republican side. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, year to watch elections as a as a political wonk. Um, I, I am fascinated by that stuff. Might bore some of you out there in in, in the bow's nose world but um, fascinating for me to watch. So speaking of fascinating you know, before we get done with the show, I want to tell people about a website that i found sort of by accident that i find absolutely educational it's a site called howmuch.net h-o-w-m-u-c-h all one word dot net and they've got some uh, graphics up there state by state and stuff like that and, and under their visual they have you know at their website the beginning of their website you click visualizations and um there's various maps and one of them is how much you need to retire comfortably in each state and uh it's you know interesting these maps are probably a year or two out of date because you generally can't you know um, have data right up to 2020 which would account for things like our corporate activity tax starting in 2020 but the state of oregon is one of the most expensive states to comfortably retire in they're basically saying that you need to have 1.3 million dollars in savings to comfortably retire in oregon california is 1.5 you know Hawaii is the most expensive at 1.8 you know um even New York is 1.4 million you know we're right up there with New York and, and some of these you know really much more expensive states and you, you kind of wonder why could it be the corporate activities tax could it be all the other taxes we passed over time could it be how high our property taxes are Mm, gotta wonder and and they, John, yeah.
0: for a minute. We just lost another company.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, you know, in 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 Lane County, we're losing another mill that makes medium density fiberboard, which I never knew was a commodity until I heard the co- about the closure. And they're moving that to another state. And I'm kind of, I kind of scratched my head and said, hmm wonder if that's because of the corporate activities, corporate sales tax. You know, just kind of got to wonder that, you know, does that make that mill non-competitive? They said it was because changes in, in the economics of that particular medium density fiber board market. But I have a feeling that maybe the corporate activities tax was part of that stimulus. And that's on top of Phillips leaving the area too. I I imagine that's the first of many of those sorts of announcements we'll see over the next couple of years. If we pass the cap, tax, and spend, it's going to get even worse. So, yeah, uh, that howmuch.net is pretty interesting, and they, you know, they've got some pretty interesting ones on, uh, you know, know, basically some of those issues of um, you know, personal finance and retirement, and, uh, you know, they, they've got some, you know, ones on, uh, I'm trying to find the other one that was so interesting that was also showed how bad Oregon was in way of taxation. Um, but they, they do some really great, um, visualizations of how taxes are paid in the various states etc fun place to explore howmuch.net but one of the things that points out is Oregon's a crappy place to retire financially great place for some other things I mean I, I can't think of a better place for beauty and things to do and and all sorts of things and I got to you know, gotta, you know depending on which town you're in, if you're in here in Lane County, we've got a pretty good hospital system. You yeah, know, so the met, you know, the medical care is pretty good, but, uh, I tell you, uh, when it comes to retirement, you better be careful. Cause, uh, they, they really can be, uh, pretty tough on you.
0: Remind me again, what retirement is.
1: Yeah. 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 Some people maybe not, not so much. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I was trying to find that uh, that other uh, retirement one, but yeah, yes. You they can-, they, they can even tell you what the average cost of motorcycle insurance is by state. Which that's one place where Oregon's relatively cheap. <laughs> Believe it or not. So um, getting back to the show, now Jay's finished playing with with howmuch.net, um, got just about a minute left here. And, and you know, it, it is interesting and I am concerned. You know, we are, so far we've been growing economically in this state faster than um, the rest of the country by just a little bit. But almost all of that growth has been concentrated in the Portland metro area. Do you know that Lane County has not fully recovered all the construction jobs we lost in the 2008 recession? Think about that. Think about how much is being constructed right now and how hard it is to get a contractor. We still haven't recovered fully here in Lane County in some areas. And you get down to some other areas of the state, and they are still not, not back up to where the two before the 2008 recession. So, with that um, cheerful thought, we'll, I want to let folks know that we're going to be back next week here on the Bose Nose Show. We'll have more to talk about then. I'll be coming to you live, not from beautiful downtown Elmira. I may be coming to you live from somewhere. Outside of Washington, D.C. because I will be traveling to Washington, D.C. in the near future. Uh, Is it next? Oh, sorry. Not next week. The week after. (laughs) So I'll be from beautiful downtown Amira next week. I was looking at my calendar wrong. And uh, we'll catch you then live at four o'clock. Have a great week.